Welcome to the Eat Out podcast, an extension of our Facebook community, bringing together food lovers from all over Spain and beyond to share the best places to eat and drink in Madrid. I'm Valentina, your host, and I cannot wait for you to listen to what I have in store. I hope you're not hungry. I'd like to take a moment to recognize our patrons, Adolfo, Karen, and Jolene, who support the work of this growing community on a monthly basis. If you would like to become a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash eat out. In this season's episodes, I will be talking to more of our community members in the capital about dietary restrictions and choices and how Madrid caters to these needs in 2020. On episode three, I'm joined by Kylie Ivanir, registered dietitian and nutritionist from California, who helps those who struggle with dieting and digestive issues to find a sustainable and realistic approach to improve their body and health. She shares ways you can be more conscious when eating out in the capital so you can still enjoy all the delicious things it has to offer, including carbs and alcohol. Hi, Kylie. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here and talk about some food and some Madrid. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really good. As always, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, make sure you have some snacks around you because once we start talking about food, you instantly get hungry and you end up rushing away to go and grab something. So I'm just putting an advisory out now. I've got my blueberries next to me. (laughs) So tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself. So I'm Kylie as a Valentina introduced me. Um, I'm a dietitian. I moved to Madrid about eight months ago now. Wow. I always say six months and then I realize no, <laughs> it's actually even more. Um, I grew up most of my life in the States and been in Madrid for eight months. I work virtually. So I see clients from all over the world and kind of my goal is to make people feel amazing from the inside out using food and using lifestyle medicine. And Madrid is a really fun place to do that. Lots of good food and lots of people that are excited about learning about nutrition. So it's been a good place for me. Definitely. Now, I am not somebody who's very familiar with the role of a dietitian. And there's also some people say nutritionist. Can you explain what you do exactly and how you help people? Yes, absolutely. So that's actually a really good question. And I feel like people get really confused about that because some people say nutritionist, some people say dietitian. And technically, if we're getting down to like the lingo of it, a dietitian is somebody that is actually certified under the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the US or under the uh, legal department in the European Union. So to be a dietitian, you actually have to be licensed. Most people go through a master's program and then a registered dietitian program, whereas a nutritionist can technically be anyone. You don't have to be licensed and you don't have to practice under a licensing body. Mm. Some people are very nitpicky about the terms. I don't really care what people say. I think that there's great dietitians. I think there's great nutritionists, but technically as a dietitian, you have to be licensed and then you can also practice in a clinical setting, whereas nutritionists technically can't practice more as like health coaches and they can't practice clinically or give any sort of medical nutrition therapy. I understand. And I guess this has taken you a while to get to this point. How many years have you studied to be a registered dietitian? Um, So in total, it was seven years, seven and a bit. I know. And that's why part of me sometimes I'm like, I should have just been a nutritionist. I would probably be doing the (laughs) same thing. (laughs) That is a commitment. It's a while, but I loved it. 
I mean, I started my path studying physiological sciences and the science of the human body and how our metabolism works and how our body really processes everything. And I loved it. And so that was four years. And I think, you know, it was a really good starting point. And I think that gives, even if I don't use all of that science day to day, I think it's really great to have that background and kind of understand the chemistry of how our body works before giving Mm. recommendations and guiding people. So it was long, but worth it. Oh, I bet. And of course, for us here in Madrid and those that are listening who plan to come and visit or in Spain or really anyone in the world, eating out is a big part of our lives. And we all want to go and eat out and enjoy the foods that we love without having the guilt. But it's difficult. It really is. And that's why I wanted to bring you onto the show today, because I think it's really important to talk about, you know, how we can go out and really enjoy what we love within some restrictions or whichever way is the healthiest way, if that makes sense. So let's go straight into it. I want to talk about carbs because here in Madrid, Spain, carbs are on every single plate. We are talking bread, potatoes. If you love rice, I mean, I'm a big pasta lover. You know, are they really that bad for you? Oh, so all those things already (laughs) just made my mouth start salivating, especially when you (laughs) got to pasta. (laughs) If I could have pasta every single day, that would probably be the staple of my life. But yeah, that's a really good question. It's actually funny because before I moved to Spain, I guess I didn't associate all these foods with Spanish cuisine. So I think I was very surprised at like how carb heavy foods here are, whether Mm. it's pinchos or just regular restaurants, like it's very carb heavy. So super relevant question. And are they really that bad for you? Most simple answer is no, as long as we eat them in the right way. It's not that carbs are inherently bad and it's not that any food on its own is inherently bad. So it's really about, you know, what we combine them with, how much are we eating, what types of carbs we're talking about. But there's definitely a way to enjoy the Spanish cuisine without having effect our waistline and our health and our energy. Yay! Yes, I know. Party emojis over here. (laughs) So some ways, like you said, you brought up all the relevant foods, whether it's tapas and all the tapas are on bread and pasta and rice. You know, there's so many different kinds. And should we talk about some ways to like kind of optimize? Yeah, I think that would be great. It would definitely help me. And I'm sure for those listening, it would definitely help them because every time I order something, it comes with at least two carbs and (laughs) you're hungry and you think, I think to myself, like, I shouldn't eat this, but then you just pick it up and it's gone. Right. It's gone. You're like, (laughs) I just looked at it and it disappeared. Exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about some ways to eat carbs, but in a good way. Let's actually, before we even do that, let's talk about why carbs get such a bad rap and like kind of what goes on in our body when we eat carbs. And I'll keep it really simple and short, but I think it's really interesting to understand that. So essentially when we eat carbs, let's take an example of paella. So we're having some paella, a bunch of rice. So when we eat it, it goes into our stomach then our body, our stomach blends it and breaks it down into like a sugary slurry essentially. Because when we break rice down or when we break pasta down or when we break bread down in our stomach, it all kind of turns into the same thing. And it's like these small glucose molecules. Glucose is just like sugar. Mm -hmm. And it turns into kind of a sugary slurry, which then gets absorbed into our bloodstream. When that gets absorbed into our bloodstream, it sends a signal to our pancreas. And it's like, hey, pancreas, got a bunch of sugar in my bloodstream. 
I need to transport it somewhere because our body controls our blood sugar very closely. It has a very small range that it wants to be in. Doesn't want to be too low. Doesn't want to be too high. So we eat that. Our pancreas gets a signal that's like, hey, bunch of sugar. I need to transport it. Our pancreas then releases a hormone called insulin. And some of you might have heard of what insulin is, Mm -hmm. but essentially it's a storage hormone. And essentially it's like a fat storage hormone. If we have insulin in our system, we are in storage mode. So then insulin comes out of the pancreas into our bloodstream, picks up all these sugar molecules, and then transports them to our liver, to our muscles. And then once our liver and our muscles are full, then it transports them to our fat cells. And our fat cells can store an unlimited amount. So if our liver is full, our muscle are full, it's going straight to our fat cells, into our fat stores. And that's where it becomes an issue. You know, it's not an issue just like people who care about aesthetics, but it can be an issue just metabolically because we don't want to store that much fat on us from a health perspective. So that's kind of why carbs get a bad rap because that's the process that happens in our body. And if we're not careful, then it's going to go straight to our fat storage tank and then we run into some problems. And so our goal when we eat carbs is we want to keep our blood sugar relatively balanced because if we do keep it balanced, then that's fine. You know, they go into our liver, they go into our muscles and we don't run into so many problems. So some ways to, and does that kind of make sense? Yeah, definitely. It's opened up a whole new world for me in terms of understanding my body. Maybe it's just me, but I'm assuming that a lot of people probably haven't done much research into this. So it's really interesting to find out about it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think that understanding even part of that process just kind of helps us realize, okay, it's not the carbs that are bad. If we can understand this process in our body and eat accordingly, then we can eat carbs in a good way. So let's talk about some like ways that we can eat carbs without having them spike our blood sugar and without having them affect the storage mode. Yes, please. So one of the first ones is probably the most obvious one that a lot of us hear about is portion sizes. You know, instead of going into a restaurant, having a bread basket and then having a paella, that might not be the best because if we go back to the process that we just talked about, we eat the bread and then the bread stored in our liver and our muscles. So then when we get to that paella, there's no room in the liver. There's no room in the muscles. Mm. Where's the sugar going to go? It's going to go straight to our fat cells. And again, that's aesthetic for people who care about aesthetics. Obviously that's not ideal, but also for when we care about energy, that's also not good because then we're storing all of our energy as fat. And then that's harder to then break down and use as energy. So portion sizes make a big difference. If you know you're going to be going out and eating paella or some tapas, let's maybe skip the bread basket. I think that's a really easy no-brainer when it comes to dining out. Definitely. Tell them to remove it from the table at the beginning because if you keep looking at it, your hand goes (laughs) for the bread. Yes. You put a bread basket in front of me, it's gone. No chance that it's going to stay there. So I always say, just make that decision before it even gets to your table. No bread and you're going to forget about it. You might be sad for two seconds and then it's going to be fine. (laughs) Exactly. And also to point out as well, some places even charge for the bread basket and you don't know you've been charged until the end. So that's a top tip that I found out. Yeah. And it's funny. I didn't notice that up until like two months after living in Spain. I was like, oh, they do charge for these. That's interesting. Um, Guess it's good that I ate them all all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of tip number one, super no brainer. Just say no before it even gets to the table because warm bread is pretty much irresistible. Another like easy tip is let's think about what we combine it with. So say we're eating a meal. 
And usually our meal has some sort of combination of proteins and fats. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's actually missing most from Spanish bean is any sort of fiber. So Mm. a really cool thing about our body is if we eat carbs alone or if we eat carbs first, we're going to get a really big spike in blood sugar and then it's going to make us store it right away and it's going to make us store it quickly and it's going to cause our body to release much more insulin. And as we said, if insulin is in the system, we're storing, we're not burning and we're storing for a while. The more we spike, the more insulin, the longer we're going to store. So to prevent that large spike, it's much better if we start our meal with a protein and a fiber and then eat the carb. Say you're sitting down to eat, let's get an appetizer that has some fiber in the form of vegetables. So maybe some cooked veggies or some raw veggies in a form of a salad with some protein. And then you can have the paella. And that kind of buffers our stomach and our digestive Uh system. And it doesn't cause such a large sugar spike. So does that kind of make sense? Yes, definitely. So you can eat that paella, you eat that pasta, you can eat those carbs and enjoy them. The order makes a really big difference. So I'm trying to think of some like examples at restaurants. So say for tapas, you know, usually there's some sort of veggie option that you can order as an appetizer. You know, artichokes are super common, right? And artichokes are really high in fiber. Mm-hmm. So maybe sit down and say no bread basket. Let me get an order of artichokes in. And then you fill up your stomach with fiber and maybe a form of protein would be like some boquerones or even jamón or something like that. And then we have protein, we have fiber in our stomach. So when the paella comes, the rice comes or the pasta comes, we have that kind of buffering effect of protein and fiber. That's a great tip. Right? It makes a really big difference. I track my blood sugar just out of experimental purposes. And it's really crazy how much of a difference it makes. I can enjoy these carbs without having such an impact on my body. I never even thought about this before. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. Um, the cool thing is you can enjoy your favorite foods without having to go all deprivation mode when you're (laughs) out, but still not harm your waistline or your energy the next day. That's definitely a plus because I can tell you, I've been here four years now and, you know, my body has changed a lot. And obviously with 2020 and the fact that we had to do a lockdown and we was inside a lot, not moving as well, because obviously exercise is important and moving, but you're still eating, it can pile on sometimes. Yeah. And we don't realize, and it's so tempting too, because there's so many little tapas restaurants. So Mm -hmm. you don't even feel like you're going out for like a full meal. You're like, oh, just, you know, a couple (laughs) of bites here and there, but (laughs) it adds So going on then, what are some other ways that people can be conscious when eating out? So like you decide you want to go out for a meal, you maybe choose a place you you want to eat. I know we've talked a lot about carbs, but what about other things like alcohol, for example? Any tips for that? Yes. Good thing. While there is a big drinking culture, luckily Madrid is not huge on cocktails. Like in the States, for example, it's really big on these sugary cocktails, which are horrible. I mean, I shouldn't say horrible because we can all enjoy them every once in a while, but we don't want them to be a daily thing. So luckily in Madrid, it's more like beer, wine, and then kind of like the summer wine. So that's just to make all of us feel a lot better. We have good options. <laughs> so in terms of alcohol, like without having it affect our health and our weight lo- waistline and our energy so much is a couple things. One, it kind of all comes back to blood sugar, just again, because the blood, mm-hmm. our blood sugar is kind of the foundation of our metabolism and our bodily processes. And it's the energy currency in our body. And when we drink mm-hmm. alcohol, 
it pretty much gets processed as carbs and as blood sugar. So first thing is let's do it best after a meal. So for example, a beer after a meal is going to have a much better effect on our blood sugar than beer before a meal. And that is a similar concept to what we just said. Let's get the protein and the fiber in our stomach and then the carbs. So that applies to beer. Have your dish and then have a beer as opposed to starting your meal with one. Same with wine. Mm -hmm. Same concept. Yeah. And that's kind of an easy one to incorporate. Well, kind of, I guess depends. And then another thing is again, back to blood sugar. It's say we're going to have a beer and a dessert at the same time. That's really putting us on a blood sugar roller coaster. We're going to spike really high and then insulin's going to come out to play and then insulin's going to stay around for a while. And we stay in this fat storing mode for a really long time. So generally, especially over summer, if we see that we're going out a lot, and for some of us, that can even be four or five times a week. So I usually say, let's choose either alcohol or dessert. Let's not do both. Okay. I think I can work with that. Right? I think that's like, you know, some people can't give up dessert, but then let's limit the alcohol on those days a little bit. And then the next day you can do alcohol. So kind of alternating between the two. Mm -hmm. And also you'll just feel much better the next day. I'm all up for feeling better. I don't know if anyone else would agree, but once you get older, like you can't drink as much as you used to be able to. Hangovers last days, not just like the morning. It's difficult. It is really rough. I still am like shocked every time. I'm like, wait, I really still feel this bad. Like, What happened to me like from two years ago? I used to be able to drink a whole bottle and be like, this is cool. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Even if we don't care about aesthetics and you know, weight is not our issue, feeling better the next day should be motivating for all of us. What about eating out late? Many of us, dinner times are much different to where our home countries. I mean, I'm from the UK, so 6 p.m. is when we would have dinner, but here it's like 8, 9, 10 p.m., sometimes even later. How do we navigate that when we're hungry? Oh my gosh, yes. I am getting used to that myself. So that's a really good point because there's so, so, so much scientific evidence showing that eating late is not really beneficial, especially if our bodies are not used to it. People growing up in Spain are kind of used to late night dinners and their bodies are a bit better adapted. But coming from places like the UK or the US or most other places in the world that eat earlier can be kind of a shock for our bodies and it can cause more weight gain and you know metabolic changes that we don't want. So I usually recommend, obviously we want to be social and we're going to eat it later than we're used to. And that's fine. But let's one, try to eat on the earlier end, maybe shoot for like the nine o'clock reservation as opposed to the 10 or 11 o'clock. And if you can't, and you're going out with people who eat late, then I usually recommend having a bridge snack. So having some sort of protein and fiber at like six o'clock. And then when you're going out for like that nine, 10, 11 PM dinner, just don't eat as much as you normally would. We don't have to eat awkward and not order anything, but let's order an appetizer and just go out and socialize. And we don't have to sit there and eat an entire meal at 11. 11 p.m. All up for that. Yeah. And like that could be something super easy at home. You know, like you don't have to make an extravagant meal for yourself at 6 p.m., but that could be whipping up like a half smoothie with just some protein and fiber or having two hard boiled eggs with some veggies on the side. That could be really easy to just keep in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Just something before you go out. What about water? Now, here in Madrid, I've noticed I have to drink way more water than normal. We all know that water is important, but I'd love to know from you, like, really what the benefit of having water when you go out 
as well whilst eating and just during the day keeping hydrated and what that can do for our body to then be able to enjoy the foods that we love. Yeah. And I'm going to be chugging down water as you say that. You just reminded me that I haven't had enough water today. Yeah. The heat and the dryness is so real. I am still adapting to that as well. I feel like my body doesn't know what to do with the dryness. So I'm glad you brought that up because water is huge. And if we are about 60% of our body is water. So just that should be motivating enough for us to get enough water because if not, our cells don't work as well. Our brain doesn't work as well. Our blood sugar can't be as well regulated. So super important to be hydrated. And usually the recommendation is like half of our body weight in ounces. So say you're a hundred pounds and hopefully none of us are a hundred pounds, but just as an easy reference or I guess kilos. So we would divide that by two. So 50 ounces would be like the minimum amount for a person of a hundred pounds. And that's for not sweating that much if it's not that dry. So I would then add two to three glasses on top of that for summertime in Madrid. And hydrating just really keeps our body functioning, keeps our brain functioning, keeps our cravings at bay. If we're dehydrated, then our body can mistake that for hunger. And that's when like our cravings and our snacking attacks really kick in. And you know, maybe the days where you feel like you're snacking all day and you can't stop might just mean that your body's kind of dehydrated. And we need water to digest food. So water goes into the digestive system, it goes into our stomach, and then it goes into our small intestine. And then our small intestine actually has to draw a bunch of water in in order to digest and break down food. So if we're not hydrated enough, our intestine draws a bunch of water in and like literally dehydrates all of the cells around it. Oh, wow. Okay. That doesn't sound good. No. (laughs) So we definitely want to keep hydrated. And especially when dining out, a lot of foods are very high in sodium. So even more, Mm. we want to be hydrated before going out. So, you know, maybe keep a water bottle around, infuse it. Some of us don't like plain water. And so maybe that means just for a week, cutting some lemon in a pitcher and infusing it overnight. So you have some like delicious spa water in the morning or putting mint in your water or something just to make it delicious. And then you brought the point up of drinking water before dining out, you know, maybe set a bowl up before you leave the house for happy hour or for dinner to kind of chug down a glass or two of water before you leave the house. Because when we get to the restaurant, we are going to reach for food and drinks and probably not water as often. I have made a conscious decision to make sure that we do get water at the table. And luckily here in Madrid, the water from the tap is drinkable. So if you don't want to spend the extra money on a bottle of water, you don't have to. But I'm not sure what the situation is throughout the rest of Spain. And of course, different countries, the drinking water is different. But yeah, having the water there it really helps, especially during summer, but in general, should really be a fixture on your table at all times, I think. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to alcohol is dehydrating and the sodium is dehydrating. So a good rule of thumb is like a glass of water before a drink, after a drink. And if you're having obviously multiple drinks, keep having some in the middle to keep hydrated. Your body will definitely thank you the next day. Now let's go on and talk about some of your favorite places. I mean, I know you've only been here eight months, but I know that you do like to go out. And of course, there are plenty of places to eat out. Do you have any favorite places you want to share with us? I was actually like trying to think about this the other day because I was like, I need to like mark some places on my map. And I feel like (laughs) since quarantine, we just haven't been dining out as much. So I was like, where did we used to go to? Like, what are these places? I kind of forgot. But kind of off the top of my head, there's a restaurant called Bump Green. And my mentality when it comes to food is like, 
all food fits. You know, I eat meat, I eat everything as long as it's good quality. And I think that's really the key when it comes to nutrition. There's nothing that's bad as long as it's good quality. And I think that's especially important when it comes to meat. And I do hesitate to say that sometimes because I know that good quality meat can be a bit pricier, but luckily it is becoming much more accessible and we really have purchasing power as consumers. So while I know it might not be accessible to everyone, for those of us who can do it and kind of push the manufacturers to create more so then it will be more accessible to more and more people, I do. So that's why I'm okay bringing it up and maybe bringing up some of these places that do charge a little bit more, but not that much more that it's still worth it. And a plate, sorry, that was my soapbox on that, but um, a place a place called Bump Green has really good mm-hmm. quality, healthy food. That's really, really delicious. And also not that pricey. You can get a really good appetizer and really good burger and meat if you like meat or good quality fish for really good price for value there. And that is on Calle de Velasquez. So that place I really like. Another place that I had in mind and I kind of forgot. Um, I'm looking on my map as we're talking. (laughs) Oh, so actually I'm going to say area. And funnily enough, I think that you introduced me to this area when we first got here or when I first got here and then we never ended up going together. But the whole Ibiza area has so many cute little restaurants with good quality food in many different variations from like tapa bars to sit down restaurants, but the whole area on the Calle Doctor Castello and that whole area. I'm assuming you've eaten around there. Yeah, I've eaten around there. As people will know, there are so many different places to potentially eat in just Madrid itself. And unless you have the time to walk down those streets and and have a look, and even down the smaller streets, you often don't find some of the great places. So I just kind of go down the street and see what inspires me at the time. And of course, there are some places that aren't what you expect, but I think it's really important to really focus on which ones are the best places. And as you said, great quality foods is really something that you do have to pay a little bit more for unless you're looking for something that is not so good in quality. But we all kind of want different things. And I think it's important, you know, you can go one night in one place and then maybe another night spend a little bit more money in somewhere else. I don't know about how many times our listeners are going out or potentially going out to eat. Well, things have changed since the lockdown and some people are not happy with eating out just yet. But if that's the case, then this is the perfect opportunity to really think about what kind of food you want to eat out. And if you're not eating out as much, then maybe you can use some of the money to go to a restaurant that's a little bit higher in quality, you know? Yeah, I think you made a good point. It's like all of us have different preferences and priorities. And like, luckily, has a little bit of everything. And if we walk down the street, we're going to find something that we love. And I think if we implement kind of the tools that we talked about earlier, you can make healthy choices at most places. And there was another one that actually came. So raw cocoa is a healthy cafe if you're looking Mm. for, you know, if you need like your dose of salad and your dose of fiber and like healthy food, then that's a really great place and kind of a fun vibe. You can work there, you can eat there. So I do like that. It's obviously not the typical span 
Spanish food, but it's nice if you want like a salad bar. I feel like, you know, maybe after a weekend of dining out in not so healthy places, it's kind of a nice start. So that one I would definitely recommend as well. And yeah, and also the last one is not coming in my head now, but if it does, I'm I'm gonna bring it up. But yeah, those are the two that kind of pop in my mind that I would recommend. Perfect. They're great recommendations. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the show today. I just want to know how can you help them out going forward and how can they get in touch with you? Yes, I'm most active on Instagram and I really try to answer most DMs. Um, So if you have any questions or want any recommendations, then feel free to reach out on there. Um, And I love connecting with people. So uh, my Instagram is at with in dot nutrition. I post tips on there and post places I'm going and what I'm eating and, you know, some tips that apply to different situations in our life. So definitely connect with me on there. And that's kind of the best place or email. I can also give you my email and I'm happy to answer any questions on there, but Instagram's definitely, definitely where you'll catch me the easiest. <laughs> Perfect. We'll add those into the show notes of this episode well thank you so much for joining me today we've learned so much about our bodies and yeah i'm gonna try and implement some of the tips that you've shared when i next go out so yeah looking forward to that and just going out and being conscious and eating what i enjoy without feeling guilty and hopefully not feeling bad the next day that's the goal so yes exactly i love that there's some nights when we'll implement tools and some nights where we're just going to want to go out and have the pay without anything. And that's it's a nice balance. Definitely. I'm all about balance. All right, Kylie. Well, I hope to see you soon. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you. I'm glad we got to chat on here. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please share it with your friends and family so they too can learn more about where to go in the capital. In the meantime, If you're not already part of Eat Out Madrid on Facebook, we would love for you to join us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Eat Out Madrid to connect with other food lovers and share your favourite places to eat and drink in the city. As always, I'm getting hungry, so I will see you next time.